welcome to the Data Democracy. Presented by renowned O'Reilly author Ole Olsen Banyu. Empowered by Xenia. Make your data accessible and discoverable by anyone, anywhere, at any time. Hi everybody. You're listening to The Data Democracy, and I am your host, Ole Olesen Benjø, Chief Evangelist in Cinea and the author of the Enterprise Data Catalog, published by O'Reilly. In this podcast, we explore what an enterprise data democracy is with knowledgeable guests. Today's guest is John Thomas. I met John at the Data Innovation Summit in 2023. We had a good, long talk on everything about data management, data mesh, data contracts, data products. John was a surprising meeting, one of those discrete persons that just kept displaying deep levels of knowledge in many different directions. So here are my takeaways from my conversation with John. First, a data leader takeaway. If you are a data leader in Scandinavia, I suggest you push harder on cutting edge initiatives. John pointed out that in Scandinavia, we play safe, but to stay competitive, we need to be more bold. Okay, a data democracy takeaway. Data contracts can be automated. John pointed out that the novelty is not the idea of a data contract as a document. It's the perspective of automation that is new, and it is a game changer. Also in terms of transporting data from the operational plane to the data plane. And third, a personal takeaway. Remember to listen to discrete data persons. They have a lot to say. Okay, enough of me ranting. Let's hear what John has to say. Hi, John. Hi, Olin. I'm happy to have you on, John. Uh, for the listeners, will you explain a little bit about uh, your professional background, your career path, and, and so on? Yeah. Myself, John, um, I have my educational background in Bachelor's of Engineering in Electronics. And after that, I started as a software engineer. Uh, and after that, I split into the data space. It's been about 15 years I'm working in the data space, have seen different changes or transitions in the data space. Uh, got a chance to work with uh, different data problems in different areas like data warehousing, data lake, data lake house, in different parts of the world like UK, Australia, Netherlands, with different top-notch companies having large set of data. Yeah, also working with different types of uh, data loadings and data engineering, like batch processing, real-time, on-premise, cloud. Uh, then when it comes to the modern data architectures like data fabrics and data mesh contracts, and of course, the data, data democracy that you are trying to be most influencer. Yeah. So, John, that sounds like you've been quite quite around in the in the world of data, uh, touching a lot of technologies, and also working in in many different countries, right? For many different companies. I, I, you know, I talk with people all over the world, like you most most likely also do, and. To, to, to what extent do you think the conversation is the same across the world in, in the world of uh, like data? Yeah, it's uh, the conversations are quite the same. I would say that it's just that few places, the pace is a bit less and other places are like 
for example, some places, for example, the Scandinavian countries just wait and see that how technology get matured and adopt to it. But whereas in some countries, it's like they really get in the train very early. Uh, that's all much difference I see. But the problems and underlying issues we are trying to solve is same all over. One simple example is data quality. We are, we have been speaking about this for era, but still we, we are not reached to a maturity there. We can find good quality data yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's quite surprising, and uh, to, to the extent we are really talking about the same things, right, uh, across uh, the globe. That's at least uh, my experience, and, and I do agree also about the fact that the Scandinavian countries are not, like, unfortunately, not the first movers in, in many of the data uh, uh, issues and trends that, uh, that flourish out there. Okay, so um, moving a little bit into, into what you have done more specifically, I know that you have been a, a very rare voice in uh, in the data contract space, and that you have provided a lot of uh, input to exactly this field. Can you share uh, with me and, and the listeners what it is you have done in yep. that regard? For the last one and a half, two years, my focus was mostly on data mesh and contracts and how it can live together. So, uh, yeah, you know that. Contract is basically like a simple agreement between two parties. Could be a producer from an operational plane and a consumer in an analytical plane. And, but it's just a contract. It, it's it's just dump contract. It doesn't have any brain as it is. But we can build some brains on top of it and make it really a powerful tool. And what I would like to advocate is more like a contract-driven architecture. Meaning like we can trigger a lot of automations from these contracts. One simple example, if you just take a simple contract, it just says like what, what should be a schema of a table, how it should like, what should be the data types, and what the name of the table and where it should leave. These kind of information is there in a bare minimum contracts. But this is good enough to do a lot of automation. For example, you can create the tables in a standardized way, for example, in a snowflake using these contracts. So also we can just do a lot of data quality checks against these schemas. For example, if there is a field like, this is a bare minimum example, like if, you, if there is a field like age, we can do some kind of validations within the contracts or we can just define that age should be between zero and uh, 100. This is just a simple business validation. Still, we can just mention this business validation inside contracts and start to trigger this uh, using different kind of uh, logics. Mm -hmm. yeah, sounds cool and, 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 and very obvious. I hesitate a little bit to call it a movement, right? But, but there are so many people discussing data contracts uh, this year. It began last year as a, as a hot topic. It's been around for ages, though. Right, the data contract is not, as I see it, something new. It's the it's the thinking around data contracts, and the appliance at a deeper and more deeper and more automated level that's new, right? Uh, wouldn't you say, uh, John? Yep. Uh, uh, like I like I have mentioned recently, LinkedIn that it's it's not really new. It's just that we we are using this in API world for a long time. We are just adopting those good practices to the data side. But one other good thing, what I want to emphasize here is that uh, if, if you have a contract, then probably 
the developer in operational plane can just easily dump the data into analytical plane without in even need of a data engineer, which is going to be a game changer. That is exactly what we want from a mesh concept also, like the source taking the ownership of the source data. So if you have the component-driven architecture where you, with the configurations, you can say that these are the configurations I want. This, and if we can automate this ingestion process, then a backend developer can do the basic ingestion that, that we need a data engineer for the last few years. That's where I see a huge potential of contract and mesh coming together. Yeah, yeah. That sounds uh, really interesting. And I mean, that is the potential that we are looking into here. More at a specific level, what is your like practical experience with data contracts so far, if you have any? And I mean, it's totally fair if you haven't. I mean, we're discussing a lot of ideas. Uh, we need to discuss ideas, right? We don't necessarily have one of practical experience to build on? Theoretically, I'm the official reviewer of the book from Andrew Jones, the data quality with data contracts. And practically at Volvo Cars, we are implementing data contracts, although it's an early state. I wouldn't say it's an early state. It's quite mature when you look at the, which are the market. We have, we have defined the contracts, we have fulfilled the contracts, and we so we are quite in some low, some way. I would say that we, at, at least on a POC level, we have implemented and we tried out the potential of contracts. But I would say that the potential of contract is quite wide. It could be used for data quality. It could be used for uh, different purposes. Even transformation logics can be mentioned in contracts, or even data catalog can be really go and link with contracts. So it's up to the companies or the teams to decide like to what extent we want to use contracts and how based upon the maturity of the company and better literacy to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um so 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 do you think in terms of um data mesh, um do you think uh <laughs> or to what extent is a data mesh uh envisionable without uh, data contracting is it something that you is it a prerequisite uh, no. what's your take on that uh, it's like uh, icing on the cake i would say contract i won't i won't say that you can't do mesh without contracts but okay. yeah on okay. other hand, there is no real single way of contract uh, or mesh implementation in the industry we have 100 different approaches by 100 different people yes on and it's a concept, basically. Yeah. yeah, so I like that way of phrasing it, like the icing on the cake, right? Because you can definitely get a mesh um, without uh, thinking or taking into account uh, data contracting. But I guess one of the reasons why you would want to have it would be scale, right? If you want to have a, a mesh that can really scale, you need everything every possible component that you can get that automates the scaling of the mesh right and that is i guess where where the contract comes into play right yeah also that the importance of governance and quality inside mesh and we and the industry is moving that keep the quality checks left as left as possible so this is one way to making the governance or quality checks 
to the left. And, and that is the that is the reason why I feel that Conrad is getting really, really great now. Yeah, yeah. And I totally get what you mean by left, uh, John. But for the listeners, would you expand a little bit what, about what you mean uh, on left? Yeah, left basically means like if you try to have all your data quality checked as early as possible in your pipeline. So the, re- the reason why we have that such a such a notion is that if you, if it starts to do data quality checks in data warehouse or uh, towards the end of a pipeline, the amount of effort and money we want to get changed or to refactor is really high when you compare with what you have to do when when you do these checks and find the bad quality data as early as possible in your data pipeline. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the it's one of the big struggles in, in, in data management to do the right thing at the round right point in time, right? And and there's so many things we want to do uh left uh in the pipeline. Meaning meaning as close to the provider as, as possibly uh as, as possible uh, uh simply. But uh, yeah. it's it's difficult, right, to 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 get your head around that. I mean because it's 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 always like the demand is pushed by the consumer always right yeah. uh, so so the consumer is also willing to do a lot of stuff that the consumer shouldn't do at least in the ter- in the world of data right which is a little opposite than if you are in a in a supermarket i guess uh, where you're consuming groceries you expect groceries to be packed and labeled uh, that's not really the case in data unfortunately right <laughs> Uh, but have you have you managed to have you managed to push left on this? In yeah, uh, at least we are trying some kind of uh, POCs, or we have uh, some ideas. We are we are almost in the in the phase of uh, trying out these things. To, like do some or the idea is basically like instead of asking the source team to do the data quality checks, the, as a data team, we will give them some kind of set of services. To just run on their side and do do the testing or run these services and see that if the data if the data is having enough quality, at least the bare minimum, then only you should you present. So if this service is or get passed, then you are okay to just send the data downwards. If not, no, go and check yourself. Like if there is error, it's always a problem. Like if if we go and ask those, you do your checks. Make sure that the quality will be good. It will never happen. So mm. one way of handling that is like as a central data team, they give some some kind of API services to the to these kind of developers and backend developers and ask them to do these kind of checks. That is the approach. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So so I guess in that case, the contract plays the role of the documentation of those tests that that the quality is high enough and and the usability is good enough. That would be documented in the, in the contract, I guess, or is that correctly understood? Or? More than documentation, I see that contracts as a triggering point to do all these kind of checks. Ah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay, so it's actively, actively performing the tests, uh, the the contract. Yeah, that is right, and that is what you have to get your head around with these uh, data contract thinkings, right? That it's, it's not yeah. something reactive where you document we have done this. It's actually part of the process, right? Exactly. So uh, it's it's real. It's more powerful than we think. Uh, to be honest, 
And also one other uh, uh, one other thing I want to emphasize here that how we use contracts. If you if you use contracts in an exhaustive manner, there is always a chance that the developers tends to not use it because it's kind of an overwork for them. So we have to really put our thoughts like how where all we have to use contracts. Most probably like start with the loads or data that is having high priority in the company and gradually starts to try to just evangelize it because at this point we don't have much toolings in place also every everyone is experimenting at this point so try to choose the loads that use contracts wisely this is my piece of advice yeah 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 sounds uh sounds uh reasonable um we you touched upon data mesh um already in our conversation in in general what what's your thoughts on uh, on data mesh uh, these days uh, john yeah we have spoke a lot around this yeah i like the, as a concept i like it like decentralized architecture self service platform uh, federated governance data, data as a product all these things are really nice on paper but uh, when we when we started to implement, we have a lot of open questions which we don't know how how to be solved and what's the right approach. For example, uh, is mesh an analytical thing or is operational data also come into picture? Uh, all modeling things. How do we do modeling in a distributed data? How do we how do we make sure that we have an effective approach for gross domain uh, data product modeling? Uh, how do we model a data product when we have multiple users with different requirements? How do we avoid duplicates in a data mesh approach? That is one of the biggest problems that we are going to face. This data mesh concept can have a lot of duplicates. Is it good or bad? It's it's a topic. Because yeah, some people I, I've seen like people think that yeah, storage is cheap, so we don't mind having a lot of duplicate data. But on the other side, yeah, if you speak with someone who worked in data data modeling or data warehouse for a long time, they see it's really bad for a lot of reasons like inconsistency and a lot of other problems. Also, how do we place MDM in this mesh approach? MDM is completely against what the mesh is saying. Though how yeah I I know that there are some approaches in the market how we, how both can coexist but it's not been tested so it's like it, it's like a lot of a lot of open questions in the air and lack of mature tools no uh, yeah yeah and yeah exactly that, and that's also probably the reason why I think like Gartner have predicted uh, a data mesh to be obsolete. In the plateau of hype cycle, yeah, yeah, I I think I changed my opinion on data mesh every single day. But it's a vision, and it's definitely something that is relevant. And at the same time, there are so many blind spots in it. I think the entire data community at a global level recognizes that scalable, decentralized data management in some in some way, some shape or form is uh, is is the future, right? But um, the way data mesh um, 
describes this future is something that uh, I don't think uh, everyone would agree in. Yeah. So I think like uh, Gardner, uh, again, summarized it in a good way. They say like only a very matured organization in data space can really move to mesh in a smooth manner. And as per the latest data management survey, only 18%, 18% of organization is matured to move to data mesh. So the question is like, how about the rest? How can they get into this, this boat? It's uh, still the question that we have to really find out. On the other side, I'm not 100% convinced, like you said, like I'm not 100% convinced on data fabric as well, which is more centralized. So probably I'm expecting that something in middle of these two, like I was just reading your uh, newsletter just before this uh, conversation, then you were giving an approach in different, in, in some other context, but still semi-decentralized or something like that, uh, an mm -hmm. approach. At least something like that, I feel like could be the future where it's not 100% centralized or it's not 100% decentralized. So that kind of... Uh, approach might be the future. I don't know. I'm just trying to No, but I think you're right. I have read um, Peter Stringhold's book, uh, Data Management at Scale. I was I was the reviewer on the second edition and we have exchanged views uh, a lot. I'm an Aureli author like him. And so therefore we have, uh, we have, we have had a lot of uh, communication and um, yeah, I really think his approach is, is, is more pragmatic. Uh, towards scalable uh, data architecture, data management. Um, and it is something when you have been in an enterprise with many, many, many hundreds applica of applications uh, and old technology, on-premise technology, also in factories, then the dream of a crisp, easy, flexible data mesh seems like a... I won't say a Fatso Morgana, but at least a, a, a beautiful, beautiful dream, right? Um, so, and, and then I guess uh, in Volvo, that must be the case too. I mean, you must have a lot of legacy technology and a new, a lot of new technology uh, at the same time, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. And so how do you balance that? How do you balance that, John? I mean, how do you... How, you have to rely on old technology. You have to get new technology inside your IT landscape, of course, uh, to, to, to perform new stuff and uh, to modernize. But, but how do you balance this, this I guess, uh, walk between legacy and new technology? Yeah, it's a, it's a very tricky question, our million-dollar question, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, it's not just world, the whole world is, to be honest, struggling in that. Because uh, if it's not the new technology, the new data architectures as well, uh, these all have few. Uh, this gives a lot of good things. For example, the storage is getting cheaper with new technologies. We have powerful computations. We have very easy to use toolings. But with these, we we tend to forget a few of the basics in data space. For example, modeling. Yeah. So this is so. We, 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 with these tools, we can create things very easily, and, but we don't really take the holistic picture. So that means like this is going to make a lot of data spam soon. So we have to be really careful when we try to use 
the new tools and technology we have to we shouldn't really forget about our basics also i was just uh, hearing about joe reese he was speaking about data modeling is uh that or that kind of talk, and uh, it was uh, really surprising. One of his uh, point, I really liked it. He's, he claims that yeah, agile is one of the reasons why data modeling is not really getting enough traction uh, nowadays. Yeah, I, I, to some extent, I agree because we are looking for very small iterations and we are looking for fast output. And at that time, we are just forgetting about the big picture. So yeah. these are just accelerating or problems that new tools are getting created. So we have to be really careful when we start working with new tools. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree in that. I think the Joe Reese is onto something, and uh, I have more guests on the on the podcast uh, talking about like the clash between data management in general and agile. It seems to to fit very well into software production, but not very well into into data management in general. And so, if you are forced to deliver in an agile way into in in data management, then um, then you face a lot of problems, a lot of different problems. I also think, I mean, and this is just me ranting. I think Joe Joe Rice is onto something uh, about data modeling that is also. Um, perhaps more a tendency in the US than in Europe, because I think, to be honest, and to be a little cynical, I think Europeans did not move fast enough uh, the last uh, 10 years, 10, 15 years uh, in terms of technology. So I don't think modeling in Europe is that much of a lost art uh, compared to the US, where a lot of new tools provided automated flexibility in terms of data modeling to ex to an extent where it was really lost as an art. Yeah. It has also been lost in Europe, but but not not to the same extent. That is at least my experience, but it's it's un it's unscientific, but it's still like I have met a lot of very good data modelers uh, in my um, in my career and I think that it's still something that is practiced quite a lot in Europe simply because Unfortunately, in in too many companies, we weren't able to to move fast enough uh, these last uh, uh, one or two decades, and that is, uh, yeah, we have to up our game in Europe. And I think we are doing that these years, yeah. really. But uh, yeah. also one one fair point we have to think here again is like like I said, like with modernization of tools and technology, we don't really we don't really need this kind of modeling if you are in a startup where there is no much complexity or much data, we still we can get these performance out of it. So that is also one reason why people think like data modeling is not needed, but that's not the case when you get into a very complex environment where you have large set of legacy, we have a lot of data, then data modeling have a very, very good place. Yeah, yeah. Couple of last uh, questions here. This is the Data Democracy podcast. And so I wanted to ask you, John, to, to what extent do you think do you think we will succeed with democratizing data in in your context? Uh, I would be particularly curious to uh, to hear you out about uh, data contracting. I mean, to what extent do you think data contracts will democratize data in, in companies? No, it's a big question. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I heard your definition like data for anyone, anywhere, at any time. But I would like to extend that. Uh, Anyone uh, access anyone access data to anyone anywhere anytime, mm -hmm. but 
I have the right for the right quality of data. Yeah. So it's yeah, not- yeah, 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 yeah. That is a good point, actually. I I will take that uh, take that into consideration. Yeah, and sure. So I guess you see that delivered by a data contract. Yeah, that is that is my aim. Like, well, the contracts uh, should really able to get right set of data to everyone at any yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. What what do you think about the future of uh, of enterprise data management? Yeah, so it's a very relevant question at this point because we have generated AIs, we are LLMs, so things are moving really fast in that side. But still, like. Like I said, we have, from 80s, we started to work on data quality and data management. Still, we are struggling with quality of data. Now, data is getting fragmented in different places, and we have distributed governance. We are yet to find how well we can, we can make sure that we have quality data to do all these generated AI steps. If, we, if, this, don't, if this, this base is not really good, then I doubt how much all these AI things is going to fly. So we have to really put effort to make sure that we that our data management is done in the right way. Yeah, to, yeah. To fly. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's actually a very important uh, point in time right now uh, with uh, the evolution of uh, generative AI and all the offerings it has. I mean, it's. After the initial hype, we all rea- realized that, okay, <laughs> this is a capability sitting on top of the stack. It's not. It's not in the bottom of the stack. So, so we need to. We need to actually do what we have talked about doing the last thirty years. We need to. We need to improve our data quality, <laughs> and uh, if not, it won't work. At least not at an enterprise level, right? Yeah. On the on the open web, it's another story, right? But. Uh, that is uh, that is something that I that I think you're totally right in the fact that this could be a new deal breaker for for companies if they get data quality right they will be competitive on an AI level uh, that is incomparable with those that do not get it right. John, thank you for for being on. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, same here. Nice talking with you. Yeah, and do stay in touch, right?